the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner, Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. A little bit of economic news out today on Tuesday July 19th. Uh, well, first, let me mention housing real quick. Because it's interesting. Just a huge number of people out there that have mortgages below 3%. And, you know, most of those people don't want to sell. Um, and having conversation with clients and people like that, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, well, eventually they may want a newer, a bigger house somewhere down the road, but, um, this one they might hold on to because, you know, getting a rental with that lower rate on a loan makes cash flowing real estate a lot easier. And I'm telling you most of the time when me or my planners take a look at some of the rental properties that people own in the Bay area right now, if you look at the price that they could get for it, if they sold it versus the net income after collecting the rent, paying the property taxes, paying the insurance, the setting aside for maintenance, the occasional costs when people move out and you got to fix stuff up to move move new people back in. It's just not great. Uh, so we did a whole show recently on 1031 and 721 exchange options out there for people that want to get out of actively managed real estate and just get more passive. Anyways, um, you know, so a lot of existing homes aren't selling well, but home builders are giving rate discounts, so new homes are starting to sell well. That's been in the news recently, but we're really full into the Q2 earnings reports. Uh, now, of course, Fact Set, um, every Friday, I love to read their report, their earnings insight report. Gives a good update. They're still writing around about an earnings decline. Um, I'm assuming about a 5 to 6% earnings decline at this point. Um, calls going into the quarter for about a six and a half to seven percent, but we could even be pleasantly surprised beyond that. Uh, banks, some good, some bad. I mean, the financial sector has been really in focus during the past week is, um, six of the 12 companies in the SP 500 that reported, uh, war banks. So you got Citigroup, JP Morgan, Chase, Wells Fargo, the, well, up until today, anyways, when Goldman Sachs came out, they're reporting the highest year-over-year earnings growth of all five industries in the financial sectors, in the financial sector, rather, at 25%. Um, it's interesting to note, though, that most of the banks, when they're coming out, they're talking about higher provisions for loan losses in in uh, Q2 2023. 
So they're setting up, realizing that we're going into a soft patch. Interest rates are higher. People are starting to charge more on credit cards and starting to miss payments. So they're bracing for that. Now, that doesn't affect revenue, but it doesn't affect profitability potentially. But Goldman Sachs today came out with some really ugly numbers. Profits plunged at Goldman Sachs during the second quarter. Um, they, the, the Wall Street giant, uh, they're struggling with their core business of deal-making and trading. They're taking impairment charges on consumer and real estate holdings as well. Their investment banking revenue declined 20%. So that helped drag earnings down 58%. So real rough quarter for Goldman Sachs. Leadership is even more in question there. Let's talk about the NASDAQ. You can't talk about the NASDAQ without talking about Microsoft, right? Because the the, the big jump in the NASDAQ this year so far, up 44.86%. Seems pretty amazing, right? Well, let's put it in perspective. Like I keep doing almost every show. If we look at the NASDAQ's return since January 1st of 2022, we're still down 3%. So we're still in recovery mode of the tech wreck of 2022. But Microsoft shares did close at a record high Tuesday after uh, they released higher prices for its new artificial intelligence subscription service called Copilot for Microsoft 365. The stock's up 50% for the year. And, you know, they've got that investment with ChatGPT. And then, of course, the hot topic that you're hearing just about on every single conference call. People are mentioning AI to the point where, okay, this is probably overdone a little bit. So the reason why I said you can't talk about the NASDAQ without talking about Microsoft is because we, we've, we've essentially got a situation where um, if we look at Microsoft, it's 12.67% of the NASDAQ. Apple's 12.04%. NVIDIA is 7.36%. And Amazon is 6.88%. We got Meta, which is Facebook, up 4.49%. Uh, Tesla, 4.6%. If we look at the alphabets, that's 8%. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stocks is over 55% or so of the index. Um, and so what's happening is the NASDAQ is going to do what's called a special rebalance that hasn't happened since 2011. And before that, it was 1998. Interesting, huh? So what, what's happening is that both the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 are market cap weighted indexes. The NASDAQ 100 tracks the 100 largest non-financial stocks on the NASDAQ exchange. So that's the difference. The S&P 500 is the largest 500 companies in America market cap weighted towards the larger companies. The NASDAQ is 100 of the largest non-financial stocks on the NASDAQ stock exchange. So you got the NASDAQ and the New York stock exchange where most stocks trade. All right. So it consists mostly of tech stocks. Um, and so when this recon, the special rebalance happens, what is going to happen is they're going to peel some money off some of these top stocks, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, maybe down to Amazon and, and Meta as well. And so you could see other stocks in the NASDAQ be have more money allocated to it, like Starbucks, Mondelez, Bookings Holdings, Gilead Sciences, Intuitive Surgical, Analog Devices, ADP. A couple of things there. Um if you own QQQ in a taxable account, you're you're likely going to see some capital gains that are created from this. Now, 
that basically means you hold a basket of stocks. And when those stocks are sold, if they don't have any offsetting losses, that's going to create a capital gains distribution. And now you don't see that coming until December, typically. That's when you realize between stocks or between ETFs and mutual funds, what is my capital gains bill going to be? So for example, it's really rough in a mutual fund. That's why in taxable accounts, it's a good idea to, if you're trying to get equity exposure in a taxable account when you're investing money, it's often a better approach to look for ETFs, especially in the large cap space, which is exchange traded funds instead of a mutual fund. They're structured a little bit differently. Mutual funds trade once a day. And it's much easier to what's called inherit other people's capital gains. So if you buy into a mutual fund today and they've owned Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA for a couple of years and they have huge gains and you buy into that mutual fund today and they decide in a couple of months to sell or trim some of those positions, in December, you'll see what's called a capital gains distribution where your share price drops, they give a capital gains distribution. It typically goes just to buy more shares. And on paper, it doesn't look like much happened besides a share price drop. They brought bought more shares and then boom, you're even. But then you get a 1099 at the end of the year showing this large capital gains that you have to report on your tax return and pay taxes on it. And there's certain years like 2021 and probably this year where that's a little bit painful. In our financial planning software, whenever we have taxable accounts, we have to model some of this occurring going forward. Look, here's the, here's the deal. In ETFs, they don't have as bad of a problem when it comes to capital gains distributions as mutual funds do. The way that they're built, they tend to be able to deal with that better. That's why many fund companies are transitioning to ETFs or exchange-traded funds. So it's still investing in a basket of stocks, just a little bit more tax control. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. All right, real quickly, ETFs versus mutual funds. Um, how they're typically similar is... ETFs typically track an index, such as the QQQ tracks the NASDAQ. You have SPY, IVV, or VOO. Those all are replications of the S&P 500, ways to invest in the S&P 500. And then you can look at Vanguard and see the mutual funds versions of this. And again, the difference between mutual funds and ETFs, mutual funds trade once a day. So if you buy or sell in the morning, you're getting the price at the end of the day. That's called the net asset value. Whereas ETFs trade all day long, just like stocks, so that the, you can buy and sell at different prices all day long. Um, it's easier to do things like options, which I, I look at. I look at options as a way to um, protect wealth after you build it, to create uh, some income off a position you don't necessarily want to sell right away. So be careful getting sucked into the world of online trading and options and Forex to, to build wealth. Just, I just want to throw that out there real quick. Also, ETFs are structured a little bit differently in terms of how shares are created. Um, and I guess an easy way to, to say this is that the way that they're created on the fly or 
structured where it's easier for them to create offsetting losses to offset gains and rebalancing and other issues, ETFs can just be more tax efficient. So we'll just go from there and talk about that. Um, and with, this, with that said, what I wanted to run into today is a couple of options for getting started because clients often ask me this, you know, at EP Wealth, we have a half a million dollar account minimum. So oftentimes we're telling people, okay, we can't, we can't quite help you now. Here's some things to do, um, before you, you know, really need a certified financial planner that's going to go over your taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, and investing. You got to, you know, build up some net worth here. And some good places to get started are Fidelity Go and then the Schwab Intelligent Advisor program. So we use both Fidelity and Schwab as custodians. So when we take on a client at EP Wealth, it's your account at Fidelity or TD or Schwab. TD has been purchased by Schwab. Um, it's your account. We're just signed on and have the ability to trade the account and bill it per our fee schedule. So I like both Fidelity and Schwab. I would say TD, but like I said, after Labor Day, TD Ameritrade becomes Schwab. So, um, if you're, if you're going to get started and you know, Hey, I eventually will likely want to hire a financial advisor to help, then use one of those custodians. You can either buy ETFs and mutual funds on your own or use one of their programs like Fidelity Go, which is an index fund, Fidelity index fund approach where you can put some money into it. I think it's last time I looked, I think it's free up to 10 grand but you're in the Fidelity mutual funds and they automatically allocate your portfolio into their mutual funds to build that proper pie chart, large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, bonds, commodities, real estate, things like that. Now Schwab intelligent advisor program, similar issue. I think they have a $5,000 account minimum though. Um, and there's also ways to get some planning help there, but that's automatically allocated in a, basket of ETFs, exchange traded funds, which for an advisor, that's a little bit easier for us to work around when we take that account over. Because whenever we, I, I just want to put that out there, when a, when a firm like us, like if we, if you engage one of our certified financial planner practitioners at EP Wealth, you say, okay, I don't want to, I'm either, maybe I have money at E-Trade or Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Fidelity Schwab, wherever it may be. A lot of people think, oh, I've got to sell everything and bring over the cash and pay a bunch of taxes when I do that in order to have my new financial advisor manage the money. And that's just not how things work. Um, for example, if, if you've got an IRA at E-Trade and an old 401k that needs to be rolled over to an IRA and an, a taxable account at Schwab, uh, a simpler SEP IRA somewhere else, what we do is we say, which custodian do we want to use? Is it Schwab or Fidelity? We open up the similar like kind titled accounts. And then we just transfer all assets in kind whenever possible from where they're held now to your account in your name at either Fidelity or Schwab. And then we start and we make sure all the cost basis entered. And then we start, you know, transitioning the portfolio in a way that makes sense, not only asset allocation wise, but tax wise. So I just want to put that out, out there because there's a lot of options for getting started. Fidelity Go, Schwab Intelligent Advisors. I do also like the Acorn app. I use that, tell kids about that all the time. That's a good way to get invested in a portfolio of ETFs and and create, you know, $10 a month of savings plus rounding up your purchases. I, I do like that app. Um, 
Now, a little bit more though, once you go beyond that point, once you accumulate, you know, half a million dollars in your investments because you've done certain things like we talk about in that download that we have 15 things to do before you hire a financial advisor. Once you get ready to hire a financial advisor, how does that process typically work? Because what you don't want to do is go to a financial advisor that sells life insurance and annuities and that's how they get paid. You want to find a fee only fiduciary based certified financial planner to, to work with. So, so how does a general process work? Well, look, you got to have a general get to know you meeting, right? And then what we tend to ask people to do is we create a, a portal to the financial planning site that we create for all clients. We ask them to upload copies of their statements, a tax return and, and expenses. And if we just have those three items, we can put together a puzzle. We can put together a basic financial plan to review to show you what we can do, what your financial planning site can look like. Are you close to anywhere at all to your retirement goals that we need to talk about? And then we can also create a basic, uh, investment proposal for you as well to say, this is what you have. This is a, you know, a, a see through on your asset allocation, your expenses, your bond allocation, um, large cap, small cap, mid cap, international margin. We analyze the portfolio and say, this is the model that you're in. Here's some of the changes that we would likely make based on what asset allocation makes sense for your plan. And then that's when a person says, yeah, okay, this looks great. I do want to move forward because I need help with my investments. I need my retirement plan. I need my estate plan reviewed. I need my taxes reviewed. All of my insurance documents reviewed. And I want to work with somebody that doesn't sell commission-based products. And so once you move forward and sign the investment advisory agreement, which is basically we're managing accounts and we start setting up those accounts, either Fidelity or Schwab, um, we send a, a, a homework list. This is all of the documents that we're going to need to look at, look at to really do a good job on your financial plan. So here's the checklist and, you know, populate this portal, this, this uh, place you can upload all these items. And then we'll take a look at everything and really start building through your plan. At the same time, we're going to be opening up your accounts at Fidelity Schwab, transferring all the assets in kind and starting to dial in that investment proposal. So, there's a process to it. And what I keep running into people that are paying over 1% to have a portfolio managed in a basic pie chart of mutual funds that have high expenses. And they're not getting any support on their retirement plan. They don't have a cash flow report that they can click on at any time they want to that's fully updated to say, how long is my money going to last? What are my tax bill going to be each year? What's my medical cost going to be at 65? What are all the items? Where is my money going to come from when I retire? Which accounts do I draw from first? All of those items should be answered when you do a financial plan. So make sure if you have a relationship like that, you're getting what you pay for. If not, just shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts, regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. 
You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com. And please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. I wanted to go over some estate planning basics because there's a couple of things that are happening that I'm noticing with people with the point that cash is now paying you something, right? You can get, you know, well over 4% in online FDIC insured bank accounts. And one of the issues with that and also creating a treasury direct account is a lot of people are setting these new accounts up but they're not doing it under the name of their living trust, which is a real problem. So I'm going to talk about some estate planning basics. And I'm going to direct this to states like California and Oregon. That's really important to have a living trust. Washington, you can do a lot with just a will. But what are these documents and what do you need? What are some estate planning basics? I think everybody's heard about the term a will. Now, did you know if you don't have a will, every state has a will for you that determines where your money goes if you die without a will? And all a will is, if you just have a will, it's essentially a letter to the probate courts telling the courts how you want your estate managed. So it still goes through probate. When you have a living trust, so it's a document that's created with either you or you and your spouse, a living trust bypasses that whole probate problem, right? You can avoid the cost of probate, which is very expensive in states like California and Oregon. And when you have a living trust, you still have a will. And all a will says is, hey, if I forgot to put anything in my trust, then dump it in when I die. So that can help. But look, if you create a living trust document, um, what happens is, is you also have to make sure that your accounts are titled properly. So the living trust uses typically the first person social security number. So most of the time, and you know the way it works in the society is uh, the husband's listed first, the wife is listed second on a living trust, and so any accounts that are set up are under the name of the living trust with husband and wife as trustee, and it uses husband's social security number as a social security number. So. When you set up a living trust, the next step of the process is to make sure all of your bank accounts, taxable accounts, any non-retirement accounts are owned or titled to your living trust. That's what actually helps you avoid probate. So some people go and get a living trust, but then they don't title their accounts properly. And a lot of these online FDIC insured bank accounts don't allow for a living trust account. So people are doing just a joint account or a transfer on death account to their kids, which can bypass probate. However, if it goes directly to another person and it doesn't go through your estate, through your trust or through your will, what happens is any bequests that you might want to make, any expenses that don't need to be paid, there's not enough money to do that. So it's very important once you do a living trust with an attorney that you're the your house is titled to your living trust all of your bank accounts a lot of times the primary checking account which is just still joint or or in your name all of your non-retirement accounts because you can't have an IRA owned by a trust or a 401k owned by a trust but you can make, make the trust the beneficiary um annuities in some cases if you have one you can change it to a living trust in terms of the ownership it depends on how the contract is created if not just the beneficiaries is the trust Life insurance contract, usually the person still owns it and the beneficiary can be the trust. 
Um, and that's something that you work with the attorneys too on is especially based on current laws is on your IRA accounts. How do you want that handled? Do you, are you have really, really young kids or do you have older responsible kids? You have to make the decision. Do I want to name, you know, typically it's your spouse as your primary beneficiary and either the kids directly or the trust as the contingent beneficiary. All right. We can go into a little bit more of that later because that retirement account thing gets, can get pretty confusing. So the other documents that you get when you get foundational estate planning documents and for clients at EP wealth that we have that have over 2 million with us, this cost that when we charge our fee for financial planning and money management, it covers the cost of also getting all of these documents created for people. So the other really important documents is a power of attorney document. And that is really important if you become incapacitated. You have two tools if you become incapacitated. So your living trust typically names you and your spouse as trustees. And if you both become incapacitated, there is a successor trustee that's named in the document. You usually have to get a letter from a doctor or two saying, yeah, this is, there's a cognitive impairment issue. This person is unable to act. And then the successor trustee can step in, but they can only step in and handle the assets that are registered to the living trust for other types of assets. If you want them to be able to handle that and pay your bills for you, for example, like a retirement account, a 401k, they need a power of attorney, a very fresh document, a power of attorney that says this person acts on my behalf for any assets that are owned by me. It's very important. And baby boomers, you got to listen up because we're seeing a lot of baby boomers that are having to help their parents through these issues, especially as they get older, they get to the point where they're going to need assisted living and and long-term care and help managing their money and paying their bills. And power of attorney is the way to go. A lot of people make the mistake of just creating everything as a joint account, which can be looked at as a gift. That's not a good idea. And you can lose step up in basis and other really important tax issues. You got to have a power of attorney. You also have to have a healthcare directive. And that's basically if you are, you know, uh, if you're out of commission and you, you know, somebody needs to pull the plug, how do you want to be cared for later in life when you're essentially on your deathbed? So healthcare directive is very, very important. But as we're going through this, I keep running into people, like I said, that they have a living trust that's, you know, within a couple of years old. You usually want to update these things every couple of years. Um, but they're creating these new accounts that aren't owned by the trust and they can actually cause their state to go into probate if they do not have accounts transfer or registered properly. So keep that in mind. Um, very, very important to get these documents done. It's a really good time as you're doing your retirement plan and you're saying, okay, I'm five years from retirement or I'm just in retirement and I finally have a little bit more time is to tackle this. Now, a lot of people are afraid to do this when they're, when they have younger kids. Cause they're like, you know, if you're like me, when I had much younger kids, three of mine are all over the 18, over 18 now. So it's a little bit different, but before the same person that I would have trusted to Uh, take care of the kids if something happened to me and their mother is not the same person I'd have take care of the money. Two different people. And so I leave stuff in trust uh, for the kids, which I can talk about in in a minute if something happens to me. But it was two different people. So a lot of people struggle with the idea that who's going to take care of my kids? Who's going to take care of the money? Now you can 
create a person to help take care of the money or a trust company or fiduciary company to help take care and manage and, and watch the money that you leave to your kids so they don't spend it too quickly. So one of the things that you think about when you're creating, you're getting ready to go see an attorney to create a living trust is how do you want to haunt people after you pass away? <laughs> That's what I like to say. So do you have any family dynamic issues, right? Do you have you know, two, three, four kids and, you know, one of them has issues. They constantly make bad decisions or maybe there's a drug problem. Maybe there's a special needs and a, and a need for a special needs trust. so They don't screw up government benefits. What are the family dynamics here? Are you worried about your kids getting divorced or some sort of a, are they in some sort of a job that, that could be very litigious? So you got to worry about being sued and creditor issues. Do you need to leave assets to them in trust? So what a living trust says is this is, this is, it's avoiding probate. It names each other as trustee. If you're married and it names somebody to step in, if you're incapacitated, but then it also says what happens to the money after you die. And in your living trust, you can create other trusts that spring to life. It's springing trust after you pass away. And that's really, really important because a lot of times I just see these trusts that say, okay, I'm going to distribute all this money to my kids. They're going to get a third at 30, a third at 35 and a third at 40. Well, guess when the average age of divorce is around 35 or 40 for people that get married younger. And so if they take those distributions and they use it and commingle it with community property assets, they could inherit a bunch of money, turn around and be divorced and have a tough time proving what's theirs. So not a good idea, especially in the state of California. So what you might want to consider is leaving the money to your child in a trust with a professional trustee named until say a certain age. So for example, you could have a professional trust be the person in charge of distributions to make sure that here's how much money you've left to the kid. Here's a safe draw rate. Okay. Here's, there's extra money available. If you want to buy a home, start a business, do a little travel after college, whatever you want to put in that language. But Hey, there's a tr professional trustee in place until say the age of 45, when you're older, you're more responsible, you're past the age of normal divorce, you've been educated by the trustee and the financial advisor that's been chosen to, to keep separate property and separate property assets. And it separates the assets and keeps it in another account, but it's more, it's available for them to live off of it however they really need in a responsible fashion. The other thing with that is that if you have what's called fully discretionary planning, rather than I would take a look at your trust and say, how does it give money to your kids? If it's that problem of a third, a third, a third at specific ages, you lose all control and you can't help protect them in a situation like a divorce. So coming back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about leaving money to trust to kids in trust and then also teaching them what to do with inherited money to keep it safe. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about this idea of leaving money to kids in a trust. So first thing, a couple of things I want to point out, if you have a special needs kid that, you know, especially if there's any state assistance at all or state programs that they're using, you have to talk to an estate planning attorney with a very specific uh, knowledge of special needs trusts. Okay. So that's very, very specific. 
But let's say you're, you're, you know, higher net worth person and you want to leave money to your kids, but you want to make sure it goes to your kids and, you know, and your grandkids and not end up being split up in some sort of a messy divorce later in life. I mean, and this is a very real issue, right? Over 50% of marriages end in divorce. So how do you protect that? Well, again, most, most estate plans that I see, the common issue is that, okay, hey, I'm creating this will or trust when I'm, I'm younger. I have younger kids. And if I pass away, I want it to be held in trust for them. But eventually that trust being held in trust, that, that restrictiveness should go away. So I'm going to distribute a third at age 30, a third at age 35 and the rest at age 40. Boom. Like I said, that's the average age right in that range of a person's first divorce. Right. And so it, it could be very easily commingled. You used to buy a house that's paid for with community property paychecks uh, added to a joint account. It, it could get lost in the mix and then things get split in half. So if you leave a significant portion of assets in trust for your child, where there's a professional trustee in place till a certain age with fully discretionary distribution planning, saying that the trustee has all decision-making in terms of distributing the right amount to the child to make sure that they're not taking out too much, to make sure they're taking it out for the right reasons so that it lasts you know, as long as the child does. So there's usually a trustee and a financial advisor involved to help make these decisions. The thing, in, and especially in California, that can be done is that it, it's easier if the person's going through a nasty divorce and wants to avoid having family assets used in the decision-making for alimony the trustee has some protection there. Now, as soon as the child becomes their own trustee at age, let's say 40 or 45, they do lose some protection of, of, you know, lawsuits and other issues, but at least they're just taking over an account. Let's say that account's just sitting at Fidelity or Schwab and now they're their own trustee and they have a power of appointment to say, how does this money get left to my current spouse and my children? So for example, that person could then make the decision that all of this money that's in this trust that my parents left me, I'll leave it here. If something happens to me, it'll uh, create income for my spouse while they're alive, but all of the remaining assets go to my children. And that helps also protect from a situation where if you pass away and then then your spouse gets remarried and they get remarried and have multiple, uh, that person also has kids. It, it's to, to help keep it in the family. It's legacy planning that can be really important to a lot of people. Now, the other issue that I want to talk about is that when you inherit money, one of the decisions that you have to make is let's say you your your parents finally pass away. And so let's say dad passes away second, the estate's finally getting settled and you're receiving inheritance and they left it to you directly. What we typically advise people to do, or at least let them know what they have in terms of a choice is that you may say, okay, well go ahead and I, I've got a joint account at Schwab with my spouse. Go ahead and just, you know, wire the proceeds there. Well, again, you could be commingling that with community property assets and lose half of it if that current marriage ends up in a divorce. So one of the things that you want to think about when you inherit money is setting up a separate checking account and a separate investment account that is considered your separate property. So if you don't have a trust in place, you should get one. 
And even if you're married, you have a joint living trust, but you clearly identify separate property versus community property in the Schedule A and the Schedule B of that trust. And then you don't commingle anything into that. So you leave it alone. You let it grow. You don't add to it with paychecks that you both earned while you're living. You keep your your inherited property separate from your joint property and community property. That way, if anything happens in terms of divorce, it's a very clear path to proving, hey, no, this inheritance is mine. This is not something that we built together and splitting in half. This inheritance is mine. So that's something that you definitely want to think about when it comes to estate planning. And look, what's really good is once you create all of this language that I'm talking about, what happens while I'm alive and incapacitated? What happens to the money when I pass away? Um, what language needs to be built into the trust if I have a high amount of assets that need to create trust at the first death and then trust for the kids at the second death that spring to life, I guess you could say, after somebody passes away? Once you create that living trust, things change. Your family dynamics change. Kids get married. Kids show responsibility or they don't. And this is a, it is called a revocable living trust. That means you could revoke it and get rid of it altogether or change it. And so what you can do every so often, what needs to be done is restating your living trust. And you don't even have to retitle your accounts or your, you know, deed or anything like that. Because you keep the original name of the trust and the original date it was created, but you just show that it's amended as of. So a lot of people, I think, fear going in to do a trust document because they just don't know the future. Well, nobody does. And that's the point. That's why you visit with your financial planner and attorney every couple of years to say, what changes need to, to occur? I mean, guys, we got a big tax change in 2017 that expires in 2026. The amount that you can leave your heirs after 2026, unless something changes, drops a lot. And a lot of people that have a lot of wealth are going to have to do a lot of fancy planning. You know, we're looking at 2024 and 2025 as, as those dates, uh, depending on, you know, who's elected and everything else and what extra estate planning has to be done. Do we have to create different trusts for people that have a lot of assets while they're alive, like spousal lifetime access trusts, like generation skipping trusts and dynasty trusts and irrevocable life insurance trusts? All of those things that need to be considered if you have a larger estate. If you want a checklist of uh, what issues should I consider before I update my estate plan, just shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. If you go to chadburton.com, you can find out about EP Wealth. Our, we've got you know our investment team, our tax team, our planning team. Um, what else? A whole group of chartered financial analysts looking at portfolios. When we do financial planning, it's not just the portfolios. It's providing advice on everything else, even taxes, insurance, everything like that. So fee-only certified financial planners, practitioners, um, fiduciary base. Check it out. Just go to chadburton.com. You can find the links to the podcast. Lots of downloads there. Shoot me an email if you want an appointment to talk about your portfolio, your financial plan. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.